Hey everybody, this is Don Wetrick, author of Pure Genius, Creating Culture of Innovation, and you are listening to Podcast PD. You want to get that PD in your car, at the gym, you got the right place. Make sure you hit the subscribe button, and let's start learning. This is Podcast PD, the show that provides you with anytime, anywhere professional development. Our conversations and guests will provide you with the learning you might get in a faculty meeting or on a PD day. Except you'll have more fun with Stacey Lindis, AJ Bianco, and me, Chris Nessie. Hey, what's going on, Podcast PD listeners? Hello, Podcast PD. Yeah, what's up, everybody? That sounds like you're taking a book out of, out, of, out of my uh, page out of my book there. I can't even speak right now. This is ridiculous. <laughs> what's happening? Yes, I, 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 show like this? I took because we're podcasters. That's how it works. <laughs> and Stacey's a geisha podcaster. She's got the pencil in the hair. I, you can see that. Well, yeah, the camera's really, on. Really. I mean, I mean, our listeners can't because this is audio. But hey, welcome Hello. to Podcast PD. I'm Chris Nessie. I'm joined, as always, by Stacey Lindis and AJ Bianco. AJ, how are you? I am doing well, Christopher. Stacey, how are you? I'm doing well. Excited that this was the first week there, there wasn't an ed camp in New Jersey. I'm sure there was one. No, the next one's March 10th. We have time. Okay. My mind is just like free right now. I'm on vacation. Well, then you're having a good weekend. Yeah, I'm on vacation, getting ready for baseball season. Pitchers and catchers just happened. Like this is this is just like my happy place is starting up again. So my mind is at ease. It's amazing when you don't have to think like what happens to you. I know, and my happy place also has Giancarlo Stanton in the lineup this year too. <laughs> <laughs> Chris, it's so good to hear your voice and hear you laughing and chuckling. Feeling better? I am feeling a thousand percent better. So happy to be back behind the microphone and using it, as opposed to last time where I just made faces at you guys. He only had one job, right? He only had one job. We forgive you. Don't do it again. I'll try not to. So, Stacy, are we talking about tonight? Since I had that wonderful idea last time we recorded to do a Q&A for each show host, it's your turn, Chris, and we are going to pick your brain and ask you all the questions about higher education. I'm excited. Yeah, I'm excited, too. I really like the idea of this little mini series, although I'm kind of sweating bullets about what my topic will be. So listeners, if you have a suggestion, let me know. You don't have to worry about that for another couple of weeks. I know. Thank goodness. But yeah, so I'm excited to be asking you all the questions about your experience as an instructor and you know, really just pick your brain about this whole higher ed experience that you've been working on for the past, past few years. Sounds good. Let's uh, dive in. Where, where do you want to begin? What do you guys want to know about teaching at the collegiate level? Wait, hold on. Let me, let me put on my professor hat. Oh, thank you, Dumbledore. Look. That's a good look for you. I like that. The little pointy top really makes it look good. You look like uh, I thought it was more like a fez. You look like Mickey. In. That's my dunce cap. Let me switch. Oh, sorry. Sorry. Wrong one. Wrong one. <laughs> so, Chris, why don't you first start off telling the listeners what exactly you are doing at the college, college or collegiate level? Which, 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 how would you like us to say it? The collegiate level? The collegiate level. Tell us. What exactly are you doing? 
Well, the way I see it, when I do the collegiate... No, I'm just kidding, because I really don't change. So can't. <laughs> I can't. <laughs> that, that was my best Thurston Howell third for the older listener. <laughs> <laughs> so I teach in the School of Communication at Rutgers University. And within the School of Communication, I teach courses in a minor program called DCIM, which stands for Digital Communication and Information Media. And the courses that I have taught are Leadership in Digital Contexts, Virtual Team Dynamics, and the capstone course for this minor. And how did you get involved in, in, in teaching these wonderful courses? Well, it's because of Podcast PD that I have this experience. Uh, are you kidding? I no, don't I think remember, I knew I, that. I remember this. A- AJ is going to remember this. We were doing Podcast PD, the chat. The original way. The original chat. I th- it might have even been after we did it on Blab, rest in peace. And after one of these, <laughs> after one of these Sundays doing the half hour chat on Blab or we were on Twitter, uh, our good friend from the North Jersey area, Brian Friedlander, he reached out to us and said, hey, I have a, a contact, a friend at Rutgers University who's looking for somebody to teach courses that is tech savvy and, you know, social media, the whole thing. He sent that question and information to the three of us. And you two basically in sync turned around and said, Chris, that's you. <laughs> so I pursued it. And Brian put me in touch with Dr. Mary Chaco at Rutgers. She's the chairperson for the DCIM program. And in November of 2015, I had a maybe 15 to 30 minute phone conversation while standing in the garage of EdTech after school one day and just said, you know, who I am, what I do using Twitter, you know, talked about the house of EdTech and my passion for technology. And she said, this all sounds great. I'd like to offer you some courses or a course starting in January of 2016. Would you be interested? Absolutely. Sure. Tell me more. A couple more email exchanges. And I started teaching leadership in digital context in January of 2016 for the spring 2016 semester. So Twitter got me the job at Rutgers. That's what I tell people. That's awesome. And when we tell people why they need to be connected, <laughs> this is exactly why. Because you don't know where this when I tell people to, you know, that you should podcast, create content, put yourself out there. Good things can happen. And this has really, really been life changing and, and maybe one day career changing. If you asked me when I was going to start teaching, if I'd ever teach at the college level, I just said, yeah, right. I would just be happy to teach history and coach baseball and right off into the sunset. My sunset's going to look a little differently now. That's awesome. And I completely forgot that it was Brian and that whole thing from our original chat. So thank you for the reminder. I have the worst memory. If our listeners don't know that, I definitely have the worst memory. It's okay. Both AJ and I bring the history to the table. Thanks. I appreciate it. (laughs) So you've been teaching now since 2016. You said your three courses include Capstone Leadership in the Digital Context. And what was the third one? Virtual Team Dynamics. So are you currently teaching all three of those classes now? 
No, currently here in the spring 2018 semester, I'm teaching one section of leadership and digital context and one section of the virtual team dynamics. Last semester in the fall, for the first time, I taught one of each, one section of each course. So in addition to full-time six classes high school, 170 kids, I had three sections of 40, 40, and 15. Wow. That's amazing. So which class did you start with? And like, what is it like to build a college class? Because, you know, I know what it's like to take a unit of study curriculum and all of those things and put them into practice with a group of kids that, you know, have been in my school forever. But like, this just seems like a completely different experience, the whole semester thing and, you know, creating it for college students. So talk to us a little bit about that. So in starting the course, I was given leadership. In starting the course and preparing to teach it, again, I I got quote unquote hired towards the end of November. It was maybe just before Thanksgiving or just after. So then it was really quick to attend some orientations at Rutgers in December of 2015. Uh, New faculty orientation that they had where they feed you and it's you get fed much better at the college level than in k-12 when you attend something so that was nice but then in all serious seriousness they handed me a, a course that was already created so the the courses that i teach all of these courses they are considered and classified as hybrid which means we meet once a week physically for 80 minutes and then the students are responsible for completing tasks outside the classroom online via the LMS. I'm not going to get into the LMS because it was one thing when I started and it's now something different and who knows if it can change again, but there is an LMS that's in place for the college student. They handed me a syllabus and it was a word document that part of it was standard. This is what the course is. This is what can't be changed. And then there were things all in red throughout the document, like about the professor and some, and some different things. Um, I immediately reached out after looking over the courses uh, setup and, and just kind of got some verbal okay from my, I guess, supervisor, the chair. You know, did I have any leeway to make changes or, you know, kind of put my own spin on things? And she immediately gave me a bright green light to basically do what I want to do. You know, there's got to be like a beginning, a middle and end. I was tied to really only the two required books for the course. That's what I was was tied to. She said, other than that, hit the topics the way you want to go based on your your experience, your interests, your passions and bring that to the classroom. And, And that's what I did from day one was my own spin. And I didn't know it then, but I really classify it now as. Whatever course I'm teaching there, it's the course title, and then the invisible subtitle is And Life Lessons with Mr. Nessie, because that's what I'm also giving these young adults. They're getting the content, but then through the conversations, through the activities that we do when we're together, or some of the technology that I use to kind of make the class go, is more on people, your people, and I'm, I, I literally give them life lessons, and have come to be somebody they can come to for advice even after their semester has ended. 
and it, it's just it's just been a lot of fun. That's awesome. I really like the whole bring your passion and then the course title and the life lessons with Mr. Nessie. We've had a lot of life lessons with you and um, I've learned a lot that way. So sometimes I feel like we get that as well, but we don't necessarily get the coursework. So can you tell us a little bit about the three courses? You've had the ability now to teach them um, since 2016. So you're in the start of your third year at Rutgers, right? So leadership in the digital context, how many times have you taught that? I have taught that every semester, at least one time. So spring 16, fall 16, spring 17, fall 17, spring 18. So this is my fifth time teaching the course currently. And so how has the course evolved in in all of those cycles? You know what? I can't honestly say that it's changed you know, at a fundamental level, I have brought different things, different current events that, you know, I mean, you know, 2016 is before the the election and then, you know, after the election. So that has kind of changed how people look at things like social media uh, and what it means to be and have a digital presence, you know, online. Um, different articles that have been written, some things are more timely than others. Uh, I, I've swiped out, swiped, swapped out articles that, you know, were are much were much older when the course was handed to me, and I found things that were more current, and, you know, whether it's different, you know, YouTube videos or TED talks, de- depending on the class that I have, you know, the group of students that are in front of me who, much to sometimes my annoyance, are looking to hang on my every word, and you know, it takes me a couple weeks to break them of. No, the idea is not to show up here and be lectured by Mr. Nessie for 80 minutes. I want to engage with you. I want to interact with you, you know, and it takes a few weeks to kind of break that down. You know, I am the college professor, not a part of any mold. I I, I don't do, I, I do the college courses the way I wish I was taught when I was in college. You know, in some regards, I think these undergrad courses run like, graduate level courses for me where it's more discussion based. And and that started right away with leadership because I don't think, and I will never think that you can learn how to be a leader by reading a book. I think you learn how to be a leader and exercise that muscle by having experiences and and talking to other people. And and yes, there, there is reading involved and, and reading will impact and shape, you know, how you view and what your perception is of different things that have happened and will happen to you and others. So that's something I've brought to that class. Plus things like Voxer, eliminating discussion boards and threaded discussion, um, not using or having a formal midterm, but going with a passion project for their midterm in the leadership course has really, and I was kind of like flying by the seat of my pants when I introduced that concept because I have found over the last, you know, two or three semesters that making that the first half, along with some other assignments like doing like a LinkedIn bio and shaping up their social media after the midterm, then they wind up going into groups and doing a group project. And I think the projects have been improved because they got to see halfway through the semester, you know, what are the other people in my class all about? What do they care about? What are their talents? 
and they go through that whole, I get to share myself with everybody in the room. And it's worked out really nice in that class. So, sorry. So when you think about these kids that you have, I don't even know if we can call them kids because they're college students. But when you think about them and you look at the students that you have now at the high school level that you teach at, how can you bring about the ideas you have at the college level to the high school? So what I mean by that is how do you mold them so that when they get to college, your high school kids can be doing the same thing and be prepared because you're seeing it? Well, it's unique. If if I was working with juniors or seniors in the high school, I would definitely be able to make a more concerted effort to do that. But this year I'm teaching all freshmen, Mm -hmm. one section of which is repeater freshmen for, for world history. So for me, it's preparing them where they need to get to, and that's to become sophomores and juniors. You know, I I know statistically not all of them are going to go to college or want to go to college. So it's about at the high school level, giving them the skills to be able to communicate, create, collaborate with within the social studies classroom. I want to give them those soft and hard skills that, you know what, I, I guess in a sense I am trying to prepare them for life past high school, but to get them ready for, to be a sophomore, to be a junior, you know, where if, if I ever see some of them at Rutgers, they'll have a, an understanding of like what this is about. And, and I talk about it. So I do bring in the experience. I, I don't say it to the high school kids to like brag, but I let them know that, you know, I do also do this at Rutgers. So we, we've had conversations informally about, you know, what are the college kids like? What are those classes like? Uh, even some of what we're going to talk about tonight, I've talked about with my high school students. So, Chris, based on what you had just given us, do you feel that you have changed the way you're delivering content to your students? Has it changed the way that you are teaching in any way? At the high school and level? And when you ask that, you mean high school, right? I mean, for at, at the high school level. I, I think it has because I, I, when I look to start this year, and we had this conversation even over last summer, how I wanted to tackle teaching world history, I didn't want to just teach it chronologically. So I think what I brought from college is the idea of going with the themes because I notice in the college syllabus, we're hitting on themes and big ideas from week to week. And then it's up to the students to kind of make sense of that content. And then when we meet each other, we talk about it. We do a couple of in-class activities or I will supplement their reading with other short readings or again, you know, some video clips or just conversation and things like that. So this year in the high school classroom, that's what I brought. Now I see the high school kids every day. So what I did was, and we've talked about this before, I'm teaching social studies this year thematically where I'm covering one theme of social studies per month and it is project based. I've said it here before my next quiz and tech test and my next lecture will be my first. You know, my students aren't getting homework this year. We're doing everything in class. That has partly to do with 
you know, the population. And I know that, you know, computers aren't readily available at home. Internet's not ready available at home. I've got all the recesses in my recess <laughs> resources. There's no recess in high school. I have all the resources in my classroom. So I keep it self-contained where we hit the theme. I give them some information to start the month and then they spend the rest of the month, which might be in a block schedule, seven to eight class sessions doing projects or a project, either solo or collaborative collaboratively with a group. So that has definitely changed my teaching because I'm not stressing out about writing model lesson plans, you know, from week to week, you know, I'm hitting these big topics, these big themes, and I'm putting in my hands of the students, this desire to go into the content and dig and research and, and make sense of it. And at any given time, you're not going to see me up at the front, you know, leading a PowerPoint or a Prezi or a Nearpod. Have I used those tools? Yes. But my kids are sitting in groups. I'm moving about the, the the room and meeting with students individually or in groups and making sure that they stay awake during the 80 minute block to make sure that they are on task. That's what I'm bringing into the high school classroom. That's awesome. And I think that it really sets your high school students up for what they will experience going forward. Kind of like you already said, but I wish I had, I guess like I'm a little envious because I wish I had that kind of preparation when I was in high school. Well, on the other side, since they're freshmen, it also sets them up for disappointment next year when for the next two or three years, their social studies teachers are not me. No offense to my colleagues, but I have a unique approach to how I run my classroom. I have a lot of patience. I have a lot of tolerance. And I work with people who don't always have patience and tolerance. You know, I I noticed the other day from talking to my in-class support teacher that we both kind of realized, hey, it's February. It's almost March. You know what? Kids don't cut our class. And and my in-class support teacher, we, we teach four blocks together. And even my repeater class, kids don't cut. They show up. They they do what we're asking them to do. Whereas other places in my building, kids are cutting class. They're hanging out in the bathroom, you know, roaming the halls or hiding in a bathroom is a more fun alternative to going to class. My kids show hey, let, up. Let's stop real quick. Staying in the bathroom for 80 minutes is more fun than going to class. Like I'd rather just, I, I don't get that. Is that really a thing? Yes, it's it's really a thing. I haven't figured it out, but my kids show up to my class. And I'm also so not what one, I'm hoping for your go ahead. I say, I'm also not one to write up a kid for being late because they walk in a minute late or close the door because the bell rang and I'm not going to let you in the classroom. So what I'm hoping for you and your students and your colleagues is that you become a contagion, right? That your kids can leave your freshroom classroom and move up through the ranks and kind of share some of what you did with their future teachers. You know, not in a, that's not how Nessie did it, but in a, this is what Nessie did. Maybe we could try something like that. You know, it's that positive move forward that I think when it's done well and done authentically and not in a pushy kind of way, kind of gets people on board to try some of that and to seek that out from from their colleagues. I would love that. I, I, I hope that 
they take what we do and they definitely go and share their positive experience. I'm also doing the same thing. You know, when we have department meetings, faculty meetings, or we have common planning time, I am also talking positively about the experience I'm having because people are like, oh, what are you doing this year? What are you doing that's differently? We know you go to conferences and you do all these things. What are you doing in your class? So I'm happy to share those experiences. You know, and I know this is a little bit off topic from higher ed, but I will say that having Ed Camp New Jersey um, at your school this year, I know a lot of your colleagues were there and I know a lot of not even just your building colleagues, but your district colleagues were there. And I, and I hope that, you know, that too serves as a catalyst for changing things up a little bit and, you know, even self-motivation to kind of go out there and seek what else is out there beyond our districts. I mean, that's what our podcast is all about, right? Like what else can you do that isn't what your district is giving you or goes beyond what your district is giving you, especially if your district isn't giving you much. And I'm not saying that about your district or anyone else's district, but it's just a, you know, a great experience for everyone to have. And it happened in your building. So that was kind of cool. It, it was cool. And I mean, again, this isn't a knock on any one district, but we all know that there are districts out there that are measuring their teacher seat time and they're having sit and get PD where teachers don't have a voice. They don't have choice. And this is one way that people are learning about these things, whether for me, by going to ed camps. Again, these are all things that we've talked about before. So for people listening, continue to spread the good word about ed camps on conferences, learning just outside of your building or your district. Or even the cool things that are happening in your school. I think Abs- sometimes we forget to toot our own horns. Yes, absolutely. Boop, boop. So back to the higher ed piece. Yeah, what's up? Um, What's next for you? Like, do you see yourself... I know you said originally when you first started teaching, you would have never bet money on being a, you know, working in a higher institution, an institution for higher education or being a professor. But do you see yourself going back to get a different degree that, um, you know, might add the DR? I know you said no to the DR when we talked to Joe on episode 22. But I'm just wondering if there's something a little more formal or official that you would seek out in the realm of higher education instruction. All I can say at this point in time is never say never. And I don't mean that like I'm cryptically saying, oh, on the side, I am actually secretly getting my doctorate and I have this grand master plan. I don't. But I've learned over the last 10 years, never say never. So would I love to try to do something in higher education full time? Sure. Why not? You know, I'm 36, going to be 37 years old. You know, I'm not dead. So I, I would certainly welcome You're that. Still so young. So young. I, I would certainly welcome that experience. And, you know, if the opportunity presented itself and it was good for not only me professionally, but good for me personally and Caitlin and the boys, you know, why not? Why wouldn't I try it? Uh, when you told us about this a couple years ago now, uh, I know you were apprehensive at first, but I think once you got into the groove of things and a year went by or or a semester went by, however you want to call it in college terms, you we knew you found your passion for this. 
we knew that this was something that you were into and that you wanted to do more of. So what is the next step in terms of that? How can you go about creating more classes at the collegiate level? And if you could create more classes, what would they be? Contractually and the way higher ed works. So here's you know a little insider information. As a guest lecturer or adjunct professor, which is my title, uh, contractually, I can't teach more than three classes. And again, when I found this to be my passion, as you readily pointed out, AJ, I actually took the time at one point to figure out how many of these classes would I have to teach to make up a full to make a full time salary to to make you know what I'm making in K twelve, and I think it was something like I'd have to teach like fourteen or sixteen classes in a calendar year, so eight classes a semester to make the full-time salary. So being limited to only three as a part-time employee, I know that that can't happen. So I'll never have that number of classes. And even as a full-time professor, I don't think I'd be teaching eight classes. So I guess that gets into the whole, hey, if you were a full-time tenure track professor, you'd make more money just because. Um, In terms of class design, I'll be honest, I've never given that any thought because of the program I teach in, you know, that whole sequence is mapped out. Um, I'd say the closest I came or could come to that would be, I really think the capstone experience that I've worked in would be better suited and serve the kids better. If it was uh, like a capstone part one and part two, that students took part one in the fall and follow that with a part two in the spring. And they had to take them in sequence. Cause I don't think that, at least at Rutgers, the 14-week semester is enough time to do what I personally want my students. And again, the capstone is limited to 15 students. What I think those 15 students should get out of that experience, I think the full a full year would would really give them what I think they need to be successful. You have you have I know you have good ideas. And I know you wish you could do more. So uh, you know if that could be a starting point, I think that'd be really great for you. Well, and to speak to the ideas, you know, I do get to do that. I, and this is one of the great, this is one of the perks of higher education. I don't get observed. The woman who hired me has never come to sit in in the back of my classroom and see how I teach or what I do. The requirements are really simple. Two weeks before the semester starts, I have to send her the syllabus that I'm going to use for the semester. We've all taken college classes. Sometimes syllabus change, you know. We make adjustments. We do what we need to do. And I have that academic freedom. I don't have to worry about being micromanaged by a supervisor or a vice principal or a principal. It It's just a completely different atmosphere. So, you know, to make these courses my own, I, I am. And, and we've and what I've brought to Rutgers is, you know, at least in the leadership course, after the second time I taught this, We've met all the like the three to four other people who also teach the course. We've gotten together to meet and kind of share and swap our stories of successes and failures, what worked, what didn't work. And not to toot my own horn, but I noticed that a lot of notes are taken when I share what I'm doing because it is different. And to be honest, if I 
went into a lot of detail about what I do in the college classroom, you'd say, oh, that's teaching. Because as I tell the kids or, or my students at Rutgers, I'm not here to make you buy the book I wrote. I'm not here to experiment on you unknowingly. I'm not here to do research. I'm here to teach you. I am a career educator. And I think that's the big difference. Most of the professors, they know the content. They don't know how to teach. I know how to teach. I know how to engage a classroom. I know how to get 40 people in January to feel like they have 39 new friends by the end of April and have those connections. And whether it's me or the other people in the room, I connect them and I promote connecting in. And I use a lot of the terms we use in every day as, as we would talk about, you know, a PLN, I refer to it as a personal learning network, but I describe the professional aspect to them. I talk about getting out there, utilizing LinkedIn, utilizing Twitter, using these tools that are out there for the taking for you to make these connections and build relationships that, you know, they're going to wind up going out and disrupting the fields they want to go into. I'm not working with teachers or future educators, although I've converted one, you know, that's the angle I come from. That's cool. And one of the things I like that you do, speaking of all of the social media that you were just talking about is at the beginning of each semester, you and I hope I'm not spilling the beans for any future students of yours. You, you know, you go in and you kind of do a quick or maybe not so quick Google search on each of your students and kind of show them some of the things that could be, you know, hidden out there. And I say hidden very loosely, but, you know, it's out there on the Internet. And, you know, do they want their future employer to see it? Do they want, you know, the next team leader to see what they're what they've been up to? And how to safeguard some of that. So I like that you said that you kind of help them tidy up their social media. Um, what other things like that do you do? And what are some of the reactions you get from your students? First with that, that is my favorite thing to do. And that's one of the first things I thought of when I took on this role. So I got the initial roster. And the first time I taught leadership, I think I had 15 kids in the class. It was an evening section. Again, convenient for me. Not really convenient for the collegiate student to take an evening course. So I thought, oh, 15 kids, leadership, I'll Google them. I'll, I'll, I'll include it in my opening slideshow to go over the course. And that has since evolved into now when I get the roster weeks in advance, I go through the, the 40 kids on the roster. I Google them. I do screenshots. I put them in the Google slideshow. And like you just said, I actually set it up as a, hey, let's play a game. And I have them all close their eyes. And I tell them, you just got your dream job. You just graduated college. You're sitting there in the human resources office. VP of hiring is ready to offer you this job. And I just met you. You just met me kind of thing. And I say, but they have one question. Tell me about this. And they turn their computer monitor to face you. Now open your eyes. And then they're like, huh? And I say, I've known who all of you are for about three or four weeks. I've Googled all of you and I start to see their faces change. Oh my God. <gasps> and I start to hear gasps. <laughs> and then I just go through one by one and it's evolved. Now, now the polished version is, you know, one slide and on the one slide is their name and something quote unquote good that's out there and something quote unquote, not so good. And in general terms, I will, I will falsify some of it by saying, you know, there are things out there on some of you that I did not feel comfortable putting in this slideshow because I felt embarrassed 
but there are things out there about some of you. Now, that might be true in one semester and not another semester with a completely different group of kids, but they don't know that. And, and, and it's always fun. And then what has surprised me most about that is nobody takes the time to search me except for one class that finally did about 13 weeks in. They searched me and they're like, Mr. Nessie, you were on Rachel Ray? And they <laughs> <laughs> and I say, yes. And then I said, you know, yes, that surprised me that after I did that on the first day, none of you went home to see who this knucklehead was in front of the class who did this to you. That's one thing that I've done differently. Stacy, had you also asked me what else I do? I asked you what their reactions were, I think. Um, but yeah, you covered it. So that's that's kind of funny. I'm I'm about ready to Google myself right now while we're having this conversation. But see, now now here's how it works. The way the courses are sequenced, I do that with the leadership kids. The students who take virtual team dynamics, they haven't taken it yet. They will take it. Oh, so that was going to be my follow-up. Do your kids ever come in? Like, have you had repeat students and do they know this trick already? No, they don't know this trick. Okay. But I do get repeat students. So for example, last semester when I taught the capstone course, it's capped at 15 kids. 10 of those 15 students took me for leadership and wanted to take capstone with me. This semester... In a class of 40 for leadership, I have uh, ten. I have 12 students who took virtual team dynamics in the fall who signed up specifically for my section of leadership this semester, who did not know they were going to be susceptible to being Googled, which put them at a disadvantage because I knew more about them, so I knew some different ways to search. And then by the time I get them for Capstone, you know, we're, we're good friends. So what advice can you give to people who are looking to do what you are doing and become professors at the higher ed level? I'd like to say it's as easy as, hey, check your local community college or your local college or university and check their employment portal or however they post their jobs and, and apply. It's not that easy. I've applied to Rutgers before I got this experience. Never get called. Caitlin has applied to Rutgers for various things to be a librarian in their system. Never gets called. I really think you need to foster relationships. And if you know somebody at the college level, work that relationship. Because I think it's very rare to actually, the same way we could go into Applatrack here in New Jersey, that you're going to go into a pile of hundreds of people for a job. I think the same thing is even happening to some degree at the college level. So yes, apply to those things. But if you have a way to have an in or you know somebody, pursue that. Now, is this for everybody? No. Is it worth trying? I think so. Um, not everybody is going to, and I'm not even saying that I'm going to be, you know, one day somebody who used to work in K-12 and now I'm full-time higher ed. I don't know. But could that happen for some people? Sure. Uh, there's a, a special education teacher I work with who she this semester is her first teaching a couple of courses for the graduate school of education at Rutgers teaching special education courses. She loves it. She wants to make that leap. She wants to make that move. She's got an in now. She had an in to get the job. So if you have an in pursue it, 
but don't be discouraged or turned off if you never get called because that just might be the way it is. I think it's accurate too. You know, we can't, yeah, kind of get lost in the shuffle sometimes. Oh yeah, definitely. You know, I mean, there there was a job I was interested in just, just to go back from before AJ that a woman was leaving a, a job in December and I immediately reached out to the person who sent out the email saying this person's last day is coming. I reached out to so many people and what do they wind up doing? They dissolve the job. They're not rehiring. They, they eliminated the position. So what's next for you in this higher ed area? I know AJ kind of asked if you would be creating your own courses, but what do you see as being, you know, your, I don't want to sound cliche and say, you know, what's your five-year plan, but you know, where are you going with this? I want to do this as long as I possibly can. You know, I, I've built up great relationships with the other professors, you know, my department chair thinks highly of me, which I had to work for. I wasn't just given, you know, an outstanding rating. I want to continue to be doing this in five years. You know, could I see myself doing it other places? Sure. It's it's, it's on my resume now. You know, I, I can apply to other places. And whereas before it was, oh, here's a K-12 teacher who wants to teach courses. Okay. But now it's, you know, Rutgers is on my resume. I can apply to other things. Maybe it's not only doing stuff in the School of Communication, it's also maybe going into the School of Education and, and trying to find a connection there and applying for jobs and maybe teach teachers or future teachers about education. But if the rest of my career was, you know, two or three classes a semester at Rutgers, I would certainly be very happy. And if I could tack on one more thing in terms of what would make me happy about it would be I really enjoy working with these students because it's what I've always thought or, or, you know, kids in elementary school or middle school, high school, you know, if you ask them, why are you here? They have to be because up until age 16, school is compulsory at the college level. Even if they screw it up, they're still paying to be there. They're at that point in their life where they are trying to do things to get to adulthood because they're just about there. They want to set themselves up to be successful. I'm playing a role in that. And, you know, I'm fortunate enough to have students who still want to connect with me, not just ask for a letter of recommendation, which I'm happy to do. And I tell each class when we start, you know, we're connected till I'm dead now. You're connected to each other. It's up to you to continue to maintain those relationships. But if you need me for something next semester, two years from now, 10 years from now, you can still reach out to me because we're connected. Um, and, and I've had some people, you know, go the letter of recommendation route. Um, I met just the other day with a student post capstone who's continuing to develop her website and find her voice via blogging and content creation Another one who is a budding, I guess, YouTube content creator. I played a role in pushing them in that direction. Not not all the way, but encouraging them to pursue that. Um, another young lady, she's my one convert who, after taking some courses with me, now 
doing uh, like a student teacher like experience at a charter school in the city, pursuing something totally geared towards education at Rutgers. And, you know, that that's my one convert. But I've got other kids who are going to go off and they're going to work for BuzzFeed. They're going to go work for, you know, these tech companies. They're going to start their own businesses. And, you know, I, I played a small role. And, you know, a couple of times it's happened and it happened most recently this past week where, and again, I, I don't mean this to brag, but it just feels really good that it happens when you're done, quote unquote, lecturing and the students applaud you, not because they're happy you're done talking, but they are happy, but they are happy with what you just said. And they show their appreciation. That's happened twice. That's cool. AJ, any other questions for Chris? I think uh, I think Chris has shared a, a lot of great things there for our listeners, and you know, for those of you who are interested in getting involved in higher ed, you know, take the chance, take the risk, go out there, find something that, that you're passionate about. You know, for Chris, it, it was it was easy for him. Is it gonna be easy for everybody? Probably not. It's worth the chance. Yeah, I agree. And um, Chris, unless you have anything else to say, I think we'll move on. We can always come back around to this in future episodes. I mean, that's the beauty of podcasting. But why don't we talk about things we're listening to and give people even more value? Sounds like a plan. So, AJ, haven't heard your voice in a few seconds. What are you listening to this week? All right, so I've been bouncing back and forth between a variety of different podcasts and the audio book that I messed that I uh, mentioned in episode twenty three. So I'm still reading my audio book from Michael Hyatt, which is the best year ever, and it is pretty cool to listen to an audio book. I got to be honest with you, Stacey. So you got something there. So I, I like it. So I might continue doing these different things, and I really, uh, I'm really enjoying the fact that I can listen and write and take notes. But I jumped on a new podcast uh, this week. Um, been a little obsessed with uh, John Gordon and his positivity and the energy bus and some other books that he has written have been uh, coming up on my my feed. So I've been kind of keeping uh, keeping tabs on John Gordon and I've been getting into a Positive You podcast. And uh, basically what this podcast is, it features lessons and interviews with John Gordon, uh, some experts and some guests and uh, people who are from his positive youth faculty. And I think it's really great because it's uh, the way it's described is positive inspiration, encouragement, and lessons to help you overcome your challenges and make a greater impact. And I started listening to the first episode, which was the power of positive leadership. And, and it grabbed me. And then I, I kept going a little bit. And his latest episode from earlier this month was with the Clemson University football coach, Debo Sweeney. Uh, who is a big, big proponent of John Gordon and his ideas. And I think that is a must listen to if you want that positivity and if you want to get that 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 feel for leadership and that excitement, I think give a positive you a, a listen. I love it. I think we could all use some positivity. Chris, how about you? What are you listening to? So I have two recommendations the first is called the Power Struggle Podcast, and 
I am taking this from episode 103 of House of Ed Tech, where I got to speak to Lindsay Stumpenhorst. Oh, by the way, shout out to AJ Bianco for his buttery smooth pipes, who stepped in for me when I couldn't really talk. Thanks, buddy. <laughs> so I, I spoke to Lindsay before my voice went away, and we talked about Instagram and leveraging social media. But part of what we talked about after the recording was over was that she and her husband started a podcast called the Power Struggle Podcast. Has nothing to do with education. It's two married people who are happy in love, have two kids, and they are talking about family stuff. I think it's really good. You can search for Power Struggle Podcast in your podcatcher of choice. Of course, the official podcatcher of Podcast PD is Overcast. They're not a sponsor, but we love them anyway. Maybe they could be. Overcast, give us money. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But definitely check it out. Lindsay and her husband have a great, fun dynamic. And the conversations four episodes in are genuine. Um, one one thing that they talked about was how in a seven-day period, while they might only home cook one or two meals, they make sure their kids get a vegetable or fruit with every meal. So it, it's fun conversations like that. So it, it, it's really good. So Power Struggle podcast, definitely check it out. Um, and my second one, I just recently listened to episode 638 of This American Life, which was titled Rom-Com. And in this particular episode, they, again, themed it around Valentine's Day, which just recently passed here in the U.S., or really everywhere, I guess. It's always February 14th. (laughs) It is not always February 14th. When is Valentine's Day? Not February 14th. I don't know, but I was listening to a podcast, and they were talking about how it is, yes, it is different throughout the world mm-hmm. okay well for and it Amer- is also banned in certain parts of the country all right well for american valentine's day here in the u.s i listened to episode 638 of this american life entitled rom-com and throughout the three i think it was just three acts they chronicled actual real life stories about things you might have only expected to see in a romantic comedy and in the second story they Throughout the story, we're playing audio clips from When Harry Met Sally, starring Meg Ryan and Billy Crystal. In listening to this, I enjoyed the clips. I enjoyed this episode of the podcast, but I also thought to myself, hey, Chris, um, you have never (laughs) seen When Harry Met Sally. Now, please hold off the fact that you're staring at your radio or your iPod or whatever going, what, Chris, how how could anybody not have seen When Harry Met Sally? Hey, that's just the way it is or was. Yeah, that means you've had no context for like, I'll have what she's having. I did because I'm not dumb. So I've seen that clip. I know Rob Reiner directed the film. I know his mother is the one who says, I'll have what she's having. I, I know all that, the trivia type stuff. But I okay, hadn't seen fine. the whole film until, again, as we're recording this, Caitlin and I sat down and watched it tonight before we got together here on the Google Hangout. And we laughed. We enjoyed it. So now I have seen... When Harry Met Sally. And I would watch it again. It was good. So thanks to podcasting. Such a good movie. I am more well-cultured. I love it. I love that one scene when they're like standing in front of the windows and he goes, he completely um, goes off script and says all those funny things. The poppy gosh. That is, yeah, that's him improvising. Oh, when he does the voice? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) 
I I just love that movie. It's not my favorite movie, but um, a Meg do Ryan you, movie is my absolute favorite. Do you want to see a movie? We're going to go see the Papi Cash. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to go to the movies. <laughs> For sure. Can I have some Papi Cash? <laughs> it was good. So funny. So I so enjoyed funny. it. I enjoyed it thoroughly. That's awesome. That's awesome. So I'm going to take you guys on a completely different um, spin of podcast listening and um, recommend Embedded. And when you listen to this, we'll be a couple of weeks out from the latest headlines with the presidential and the and the White House collusion slash obstruction, um, you know, news. And my podcast recommendation comes from a point of interest in how you can use podcasts in the classroom. And I think that embedded the last two episodes, Trump stories, collusion and Trump stories, obstruction, really kind of give you an idea of how to explain some of this to your kids, you know, especially if you're not someone who watches the news or keeps up with all the papers and, you know, is seeking that information out. This is a nice way to share with your students. I can't promise you that there's absolutely no swearing in it, but, um, it's very limited. It's embedded. They do a really great job just kind of digging deep um, in the topic. This entire season has been about our president's rise to the Oval Office and, um, you know, just some of the backstory. But these two, I think, really kind of shed some light on on the stories that we're hearing about that maybe we don't know all of the details about the players um, some of the theories, some of the facts. Um, it's just a nice primer, I guess. And Chris, if for, when you were just talking about Valentine's Day, that was an ungenious episode that I listened to um, where they talk about Valentine's Day and all of its hallmark goodness. So that's not an official recommendation, but you can check that out. Nice. Of course, there'll be a link to all this stuff out in the show notes at podcastpd.com slash 24. We have anything else to talk about tonight? No, we have some good PD coming up going forward, though, and we'll be able to talk about that. And um, Right. We got some stuff happening before this episode comes out, which we can reflect on after it has already happened. And then we can set ourselves up for some things that are coming up in like March and April and May, June, July, and August. And hey, just click subscribe and just take us with you wherever you go. And you won't miss any of it. Exactly. So there's no new feedback. We've had a couple of people and we're ill-prepared who have shouted us out on Twitter. You know who you are because you're listening right now and just take this as a blanket thank you for sharing Podcast PD on Twitter. Um, as we say on other shows, you know, if you like the show, again, I'm Chris. We have AJ and Stacy. If you don't like it, well, don't tell anybody about it. But if you do like it, go out and tell other people to subscribe to Podcast PD. You know, we're not going to tell you not to review it on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts, but we're not going to stop you. So if you want to do that, that'll be fun. AJ, any last thoughts on higher ed or anything else you want to share? No, I think I'm good. I, honestly, I'm very... I'm very intrigued as to where you're going to continue with this this journey, Chris. So that's that's really my thought. But I told you that years ago. You did. And I'm looking forward to keeping you guys in the loop. And hey, 
we're all on our own journey. Yeah, and if you're someone who's a professor or an adjunct professor at a college or university in your area and you have some feedback for us, tell us what you teach. Tell us what it's like, how you made the switch. We'd love to hear your stories as well. All right. I think it's time for the magic. Say goodbye, Christopher. Goodbye, Christopher. Say goodbye, AJ. Bye, AJ. Goodbye, everyone. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Podcast PD. For links to all the resources mentioned in this and every episode, please visit our website, podcastpd.com. You can connect with me on Twitter and Instagram at AJBianco. And I also blog at AJBianco.me. You can connect with me on Twitter. I am Mr. Nessie. And I would love it if you also checked out the House of EdTech podcast over on chrisnessie.com. You can connect with me on Twitter and Instagram at irontech, and I blog at irontech.me. Connect with Podcast PD on Twitter and Instagram at Podcast PD. We'd also love to have you as a member of our Facebook community. Go to podcastpd.com forward slash Facebook to join. You can help us reach more educators like you by telling someone else about the podcast. So share us with a colleague, and if you do it on social media, please make sure to tag us. Podcast PD is a proud member of the Education Podcast Network. Podcast for educators, podcast by educators. For more podcasts, visit edupodcastnetwork.com. Podcast PD is a proud member of Voice Ed Radio. Voice Ed Radio, your voice is right here. For more great content, go to voiceed.ca.